Blog Talk Radio. for the next 30 minutes as we seek to take an expedition for truth. Yours truly, Pastor Brian Chilton. And we thank you for joining us today on today's podcast. Uh, We have two very special guests with us, uh, Christopher and Amanda Burcham. And we are recording this just after the last night of our revival, our 2015 revival at Huntsville Baptist Church. And it's just been a fantastic revival. So Christopher, Amanda, thank you guys so much for being here with us today. Thank you. Before we begin, we want to remind everybody about our website that coincides with this broadcast over at pastorbrianchilton.wordpress.com. Uh, we ask you, it's absolutely for free, uh, we just ask you to help us uh, let other people know about the resources that are available online by sharing it on your Facebook, Twitter account, or what other social media that you have. Uh, let people know about it at pastorbrianchilton.wordpress.com. We want to first of all start off uh, talking with Amanda Amanda, you have a very fascinating testimony. Uh, what religion were you born into, and could you tell us a little bit about uh, the tenets of your early faith? Um, my parents both converted to Mormonism when they were newly married. Um, so they were sealed in the Mormon temple when I was in utero. My mom was eight months pregnant with me. Um, they had both been raised in Christian homes. So um, they they were converted by Mormon missionaries in Greensboro. So I grew up with a dad who held the Aaronic priesthood um, and the Melchizedek priesthood in the Mormon church. So, so what exactly is that? Um, um, the Aaronic priesthood is one that they pretty much train young boys as they're reaching puberty age to you have to be 13 before you can be baptized in the Mormon church and then they kind of groom them to take on this priesthood which gives them the ability to serve sacrament and perform some other services within the church 
And I might you come back after we uh, talk through your testimony about the differences between Mormonism and Orthodox Christianity. Uh, but your testimony goes that you left Mormonism uh, due to some traumatic events. Uh, you know, go into what you feel free in sharing. Uh, but what led you to leave the Mormon Church? Um, my parents divorced when I was seven. So my mother was immediately um, excommunicated from the Mormon Church um, because of the divorce. She was the one who left, um, and at that point, my father had become pretty much non-practicing. Um, even though he held the priesthoods within the church, he he didn't attend very much. Um, so from the time I was seven until I was 13, I didn't step foot in the Mormon church. When I was 13, it popped up on the radar, hey, here's a girl who grew up in a Mormon home who needs to be baptized. So um, two lady missionaries showed up at the house and were like, it's time for your lessons. <laughs> um, so I had my lessons at 13 and was baptized into the Mormon church um, shortly before my 14th birthday. Um, I thought that everything would be great because <laughs> um, I think, you know, we, I was basically told that as long as I was a good girl and read my Book of Mormon and read my Bible and trusted God that everything would turn out fine, well, life was still a mess. Um, I had a broken home. I had parents who were not emotionally healthy at all who were spiritually bankrupt um, because of the, the false beliefs that they had fallen into. Um, my relationship with my parents was really bad uh, shortly after that. Um, and I went to high school and met a boy that, you know, I was 14. We couldn't really date yet, but we, we were going together, um, who raped me mm -hmm. on Christmas night of that year and um, so being 14 years old and a sexual act having taken place I tried to rationalize this as well I've lost my virginity now and to this person so we can never do this again but we have to get married so in my mind I thought we're going to continue to date until we're 18, 19, 20, or whatever, and then we'll get married and everything will work out fine. Well, <laughs> because I would not willingly have sex with him after that, he began to get that from other people. Mm -hmm. um, so that kind of shattered that whole rationale. Um, my relationship with my parents continued to get worse because I never told them about the rape. Um, you know, very much blamed myself for it happening, didn't really know how to process that. Um, so a few days before my 15th birthday, I attempted suicide mm -hmm. um, at the boyfriend's house. Um, so he had his mother drive me home. I had overdosed on my asthma medication. It's basically waiting for my heart to speed up so much that it couldn't continue to beat. Mm -hmm. um, they drove me home put me in my bed, never said a word to my mother. Um, oh my goodness. 
so she came into my room a couple hours later. Um, I never lost consciousness, but I was very sick. Um, I ended up going to the hospital. Part of the whole thing with the suicide, too, was that, you know, I believed that if God was a good and loving God, that he would not let these things happen to me. He would not have let the rape happen. He would not have let this boy hurt me in the multiple levels that he had. He would not let me have parents who were hurting me, but not necessarily because they knew any better. Um, so if the Lord was going to allow those things to happen to me, the least he could do was let me come home. Um, when I didn't die, I was very angry. <laughs> um, nothing tells you you're a failure like not being able to kill yourself, right? And um, I decided that God did not exist at that point. Um, that didn't last terribly long, um, but it got to the point where I started to look to other things because Mormonism didn't work, so I, I started dabbling in witchcraft at that point. So it was the whole issue of um, what some theologians have called theodicy, the problem of evil. Why would a loving God or a powerful God mm -hmm. allow evil to take place? And, and this is, quite frankly, the the biggest issue um, that we face. But you know, this is an issue that not only Christians have to face, but in fact all world religions and philosophies have to face. So you say you dabbled in the occult and witchcraft. Um, what led you down that path? I mean, was there a certain appeal uh, into the witchcraft and the occult? Well, looking back on it now, I would say it's generational sin. Um, my grandmother was a Rosicrucian, which is an ancient Egyptian fraternity kind of deal and had an altar in her bedroom. Now, what was the name of that again? Rosicrucian. Rosicrucian. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mother had dabbled in the occult when she was in her teens, had always told me never to have anything to do with it. But whenever I started, you know, shopping in that section of the bookstore and bringing home those things, she would cast with me. So it was kind of like the only time that I felt like she had approved of my religious choices at that point. Because she was very much against me joining the Mormon church because she had been excommunicated and she was Baha'i as well. And so just a lot of spiritual craziness in my family history, too. Was there a sense of power uh, that, that a person felt like over elements or over the spiritual realm through, through witchcraft? Yeah, I mean, I will say that it is definitely real that things do happen. The thing that is lacking is the relationship. Mm -hmm. um, you are, the, the enemy is real. Right. And everything that goes against the name of Christ is of the enemy. Hmm. So any time that we're worshiping anything other than Jesus, right. <laughs> we are ultimately worshiping the enemy. And I felt that since I was doing white magic, that I wasn't doing anything to harm anybody, that what I was doing was okay. But I still didn't have a relationship with my creator at that point. Right. I was seeing results to things, but I wasn't being fulfilled by those results. Right. Well, and it's interesting because uh, I have uh, a couple of friends uh, that, um, as a married couple, Devin and Melissa Pellew, 
who go to, I believe it's Hickory, if I'm not mistaken. There's an annual pagan festival that's held there, and they go there to explicitly share the gospel uh, with individuals who are, who are in that. Uh, if if someone were to be listening and who was uh, into the occult, uh, what would you tell them? You know, and of course we're going to get into the salvific faith that you found in Christ in a few moments. But what would be something that you would tell them? You know, as to demonstrate the um, um, the need to get out of that into and come into a relationship with Christ. Well, for me. Um, it was very much something that God protected me even in the midst of. Um, mm -hmm. He wooed me, and that's kind of the biggest thing. You know, the Lord will woo you. Mm -hmm. He has a purpose for your life, and you don't are not capable of understanding and grasping what that purpose is when you're separated from Him. Mm -hmm. Um so, you know, if there, when you are at that point where you realize that you're not having a relationship in this where you are just continually doing things to serve something that does nothing but take from you, um, there is a God who loves you, who created you, who has a plan and a purpose for your life, who desires relationship with you who will never be one-sided, who will always give you far more than you can ever give back. Amen. Amen. In this, in this, um, this time that you were in, in uh, witchcraft, you became an agnostic, is that correct? I was agnostic first and then agnostic. moved into witchcraft and then I had friends who were very concerned for my soul, <laughs> rightfully, yeah. um, who were sharing with me that I just... I just I just wasn't there because I believed, honestly, that Mormonism was Christianity. And I believed I had already done that and that it didn't work and that I didn't want any part of it right. for quite some time. Well, now you came into a uh, saving faith, a salvific faith in Christ Jesus. Uh, tell us about your experience and was there a, a particular um Book or I mean, outside of the wooing, of course, obviously involved in the wooing. And, and the reason I mentioned this is that uh, I had myself left the ministry for seven years mm -hmm. due to doubts that I had about the authenticity of the Bible, whether or not it was genuine and whether we, it could be trusted. And uh, one of the ways that God led me back into a stronger faith into the ministry. Uh, was through some works by Josh McDowell and uh, Lee Strobel. So tell us about your coming to faith, uh, about this wooing of the Holy Spirit, and uh, tell us a little bit about um, what were maybe some of the arguments or what were some of the things that God showed you to lead you into that salvific relationship with Himself. Um, yeah, and you know, at a certain point, I had gotten accepted to Catawba College, which was kind of a total fluke. Like, I had been at Forsyth Tech, wasn't really, I had changed my major like 18 times. <laughs> um, and I've been there. <laughs> yeah, didn't know what I was doing with my life. And applied to Catawba, got accepted, got merit grants, like had to pay $1,000 for books a year. That was it. And there was no reason that I should have gotten all that. Um, I honestly believe that the Lord orchestrated things for me to come to Catawba 
so that I could meet the chaplain and that I could take two classes there. Um, what were those two classes? Uh, one of the classes was basic beliefs of Christianity, which I don't know why I took it. Like, I was... I guess I wanted to know what they believed so I could argue it with all those people who were trying to tell me it's what I needed to believe. But at the same time, the Lord had really been working on my heart. Um, and another class was Ancient Western Civ. And the professor that I had in that class used the Bible as a textbook for that. So... It wasn't an overtly Christian class at all. It was, you know, the subtitle was From Yahweh to Yesu. I don't know. <laughs> but he kind of had like an inductive Bible study method of teaching this class. And just from a purely pragmatic point, like if a teacher is going to use this book as a history text, then there must be something true in there. Um, so I scheduled an appointment with a chaplain who taught the Christian Beliefs class within a few weeks of starting Catawba and laid out my whole story for him about um, the rape. And I had gotten pregnant in high school and had an abortion as well and all the problems with my parents and all of the other Minutia of things that had gone on in my life and basically put the question to him why would God let all of these things happen to me if he's supposed to be this good and loving God and he said to me have you ever thought that maybe God pulled you through all of these things for a greater purpose mm -hmm. instead of putting you through these things well causing these things and that was a pivotal shift in the way I was viewing things. Wow. Um, that was probably in October, um, Thanksgiving Day, in November, like a month and a half later, um, was the day that I got saved. Wow. So, um, you know, that was, I really believe that God just led me to Catawba just for that one semester. <laughs> To have those experiences. Um, well, and I firmly believe that. I think that God puts people in your in your way at a certain time, in a certain instance. Mm -hmm. For instance, with my own testimony, it was that wooing of the Spirit to go to Lifeway Christian Bookstore. I had mm -hmm. not been to a Christian bookstore for at least five years. And so um, just right there, had that encouragement. You know, mm -hmm. I, I agree with that. I believe that wholeheartedly, that God puts people... In your in your way at certain times to like you say woo you into the into the uh, into the kingdom of God. Um, you came to faith, and you also have uh, another element. You became a missionary. Yeah. <laughs> I've talked about your salvation first. Oh, um, well, my salvation story itself. Um, I had God had been confronting me with situations where people were a lot better than I was because <laughs> I mean I realized I was depraved like I, I got that uh, <laughs> I knew I, and I realized there there wasn't much good going on in my life and um, I saw people who had like more opportunities who had parents that were still married who had much more stable upbringing who made better choices a lot of times who were going through things that I I deserved 
one of the girls I went to school with ran with the same crowd. She was in a, the state penitentiary, had lost her baby. Her parents were raising it because she had become a drug addict. I should have been that person. I was the one who grew up with the parent that grew pot in the backyard and would do whatever it, he could do without busting a vein. Right. <laughs> um, that should have been me. Um, that Thanksgiving, it was the day before Thanksgiving that went into Thanksgiving Day, I was hanging out with one of my friends from high school, actually two of my friends from high school, and one of them had been raised in a solid Christian home, couldn't decide if he wanted to be a vet or a preacher or a history teacher, like mm. straight as an arrow, <laughs> went to app, tripped on acid his first week there, and has been a complete burnout ever since, mm. just looking for whatever he can find to get high. And so this was the first time I had seen him and spent any time with him since high school, and he was telling me, yeah, you were so wild in high school, you were wild, you were wild, and I'm like, yeah, I was, and you were not. And why is my life not like this? I, I deserve this. Like, I'm set up to get this. Like, this is what my life situation should lead to. Why am I not the one who's looking for every plant in a greenhouse to smoke to get high? Um, and later that evening, after he had left, I was still with one of my other good friends and who, you know, had been very influential in helping to bring me along in the process of understanding Christ and um, I got to the point I just I felt the full weight of my sin um, I hated every single thing about myself in those moments mm -hmm. and I had so much crap in my life that I had done that I had hurt myself with I had hurt others with and I was just it was oppressive, and I knew in that moment that I could not forgive myself mm. and that the only person I had ever heard of who could forgive all of that was Jesus. Amen. And I laid on my face that night and cried out to God and said, Jesus, I am nothing, and I have nothing. Whatever it is, if you will just forgive me, you've got it. I will do whatever, go wherever, say whatever, <laughs> if you will just take me. Um, and it was, it was a crazy transformation. Um, I had been a very liberal, obviously pro-abortion, um, pro-homosexuality, you know, just take the liberal agenda and smack my name on it. Um, and... It honestly was the Holy Spirit because I didn't have a whole lot of outside influence that was telling me that I needed to believe this way. I mean, I had people around me that believed that way, but they weren't necessarily pushing all of that on me. And the Lord just began changing my heart to where I was really feeling very different about all of these things. And I was like, what is happening? Um it was scary. Like, I didn't recognize myself, and nobody else recognized me either. Like, it was it was really hard for my mother um, because I was, I was transforming very quickly into a completely different person, and I had been just as depraved as they come. And now she's got this kid in her house who's, like, 22 and 
loving on Jesus and reading the Bible and telling her how to be saved, and she's just like, yeah, hold up, chica. Um, so our relationship became very difficult. But at that point, I was introduced to youth with a mission. Um, so I got saved at 22, I got baptized at 23, and I had applied um, to go to YWAM Honolulu. It was a choice between them and YWAM Fairbanks, <laughs> um, the two places I could get the furthest away from home without needing a passport immediately. Um, and went out and did a discipleship training school with them in Honolulu in April of 04 when I was 24 years old. And I, I'll tell anybody this, I feel like I learned more in that six months of my life about God and who He is than I would have learned sitting in a pew the entire rest of my life. Like, it was just such a greenhouse effect of being in a place where everybody there wants to know God and wants to make Him known. Right. You know, there's just this unified purpose, and that's all you're there to do is just to learn and soak mm -hmm. it up and experience God and learn how to pray and how to do Bible study and how to relate with other people and how to do biblical conflict resolution, how to you know, help others come to know who Christ is. Um, just an amazing, amazing experience. Um, and this missionary um, journey led you also, my understanding is, to China and Tibet. Uh, mm -hmm. Would you mind speaking on those experiences? For yeah. Um, the way YWAM works, they have several different schools. Um, the discipleship training school is kind of the entry level with YWAM. And... Um, most of their schools are set up with a three-month intensive lecture phase at your base location, and then you have a three-month mission phase that's wherever your leaders have prayed and felt like they're led to lead you to go. Um, I will say that I have never felt particularly called to China. Obviously, I was. <laughs> um, but... It was it was a very interesting experience. We had a small group of people in our DTS. We got very close, very fast. We had eight different nationalities among 17 of us represented. So we were a very diverse group. Um, and when we got to China, oh my goodness. <laughs> um, You've been in a place where you're just experiencing God on a regular basis and walking with people who that's their goal. And then when you, you go into a country where you're not accustomed to what their spiritual demons are, um, it's very obvious. Um, we traveled several places throughout China, and you could get off of the train and feel a different type of oppression in each city. Um, I've heard that especially about in some areas of Africa where there is a lot of voodoo, in, and you mentioned before witchcraft being practiced, that there's almost like an oppression mm -hmm. in certain areas. And I've heard several people, missionaries and pastors from that area, say that, as you mentioned before, spiritual warfare, it is a real thing. Mm -hmm. Well, and, you know, the enemy knows how to attack us. 
through each other mm -hmm. is usually the easiest way because we all have our comfort zones and mm -hmm. we don't like to be out of them. Um, so he he did mess with our team some, but it was one of those things where we God really showed me in that that we are so weak. We are just, we're so weak, and we're so messy, hmm. and we should not be, it, we have no right to see what God does in bringing others to himself, because we we just honestly can totally get in the way and mess things up, but he, in our messiness, still allowed us to see Chinese nationals accept Christ and follow him and invite their friends to come in and hear the gospel. I mean, we got to see people saved. We, you know, there are long-term missionaries that are there for years that never get to see the harvest come in. And he allowed us to be blessed with being part of that, even though we were just messy kids <laughs> who just wanted to love him, but just doing a bad job at it sometimes. Um, but it was just it was really neat to see how, you know, in spite of ourselves, God would still be glorified. Amen. We have um, about, uh, looks like two or three minutes left mm -hmm. on the podcast. Um, first first and foremost, could, what are the differences? I mean, would you say Mormonism is Christianity? Because uh, a lot of people ask that question, and as one who had been in the Mormon faith and, and are now an evangelical Christian, uh, would you say they're one and the same, or are they completely different? How would you answer that question? Um, I would say that Mormonism is not equal to Christianity. It is not another denomination. It is a completely different ball of wax. But I will say that there are a lot of similarities. I believe that what the enemy did with Joseph Smith is that he took truth and twisted it just enough so that it is not truth mm. anymore. Um there are a lot of words and phrases that are used in Mormon theology and doctrine that we use in Christian doctrine, but they have very different meanings. Mm. Um, but um, for me, probably the biggest thing that was the clearest thing to me was when I was taking that Christian beliefs class and we were talking about Christian, one of the core tenets of Christianity is, is a monotheistic belief system. We believe in one God in three parts in the Trinity. Um, Mormons believe that Mormon men can go to the upper of three levels of heaven, can be have a celestial or yeah, a celestial marriage with their earthly wife and create spirit babies and populate another planet and they will be gods yeah. of that other planet. They believe that the god of the planet Earth is a spirit child of the god of the planet Kolob. To me, just in knowing that you believe that there are other gods out there and that you as a man someday can attain godship over another planet, that's polytheistic. Right. You know, so if you're like going to like the very core of like what's the number one thing that we believe as Christians, <laughs> that there is one God, um, then you know, it, it kind of separates them from right. the get-go. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for being with us. May God bless you. Thank you for your courage and bravery to talk about this. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this has been uh, Redeeming Truth Radio, and this is Pastor Brian Chilton reminding you that the truth shall set you free. God bless.
Welcome to the One Minute Apologist. One minute apologist. If you had one minute to be able to unpack for the audience, we interview the world's leading apologists to provide credible answers to curious questions. My question to you is, are Mormons Christians? Well, if a Christian is somebody who believes certain basic doctrines, uh, actually there are 14 of them. They're found in the Apostles' uh, Creed. They're found in the Bible as the basis uh, for the gospel. You have to believe in one God, that there's three persons in one God. You have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus was a human. Man's a sinner. Jesus died for our uh, sins. You have to be justified by faith. If you line up those essential doctrines, there are about 14 of them, you'll see that Mormons deny most of them. So the question is, can you be a Christian and deny most of the fundamental Christian doctrines? And the answer is no. Uh, could you be a Buddhist and deny most of the fundamental Buddhist doctrines? Could you be a Muslim and deny uh, that uh, God is Allah and Muhammad was his prophet and that the Quran is the word of God? Obviously not. Uh, you can claim to be, but you aren't really because it doesn't correspond uh, to the facts. So Mormons are not uh, Christians. Jehovah's Witnesses are not Christians because they all deny crucial, fundamental Christian doctrines, which makes them not Christian. People say, well, do they believe in God? Yeah, but which God? Uh, it's a finite God. It's a progression of God. It's a form of polytheism. They believe in Jesus. Yeah, but what Jesus? Uh, is Jesus the brother of Lucifer? That's what Mormons believe. Right. Uh, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus is Michael the Archangel. Well, can he be saved by believing in an angel? Uh, Michael the Archangel? Obviously not. So they claim to be Christian, but they don't prove to be Christian. 